rarely does God change my sermon, or at least rarely do I obey it, I guess. Maybe that's more accurate. Um, I'm a preacher by habit of sermon series. I, I No one taught me that. Um, it's a very common thing in the church these days that they do series, and it's easier to plan that way. You can take, instead of preaching a five-point sermon, you do a one-point sermon, two, three, and then so everybody can go back. Hopefully, they go to their car remembering what the preacher said. If the preacher doesn't remember what he said in the car, then we're in trouble. But God changed it mid-week, uh, and I was going to finish, and I do want to say it, I want to say it for the record, that when I was going to talk about the very last little line from Isaiah 9, we've been going through a Christmas series. We still have our Christmas decorations. That's crooked. Whatever. Joy to the world and joyful, and we obviously are going to have these up today. It's still December, the month of Christmas. For some people, we they celebrate it for all month, but um, God really changed it. But my word was that God is a mighty God. He is a mighty God, that he's powerful enough to, to handle what you're going through and to provide everything that you need. And actually, today's message really isn't that much different. I guess I'm using a little bit different language, but I want to pause my sermon, uh, sermon series style preaching and just take a, a week of just one sermon. This is not a to be continued, but it is kind of hopefully planting seeds in your spirit and in your heart, even online, for what's to come in the next following weeks. Because I'm going to be doing something, like I said earlier, I'm doing something a little bit different that um, it's a good thing that I'm a little nervous. It's a good thing. It's keeping me on my toes. It's keeping me prayerful. And uh, sometimes you got to try something in faith and see what happens. But I want to just pause and say God is good. As we end the year, you're always supposed to reflect. You're supposed to. And then the new year is supposed to make new year's resolutions. Let me say, how many of us always do new year's resolutions? How many of us say, forget that, I'm not even going to do it because I know I'm going to fail at it? You guys are real Christians. Yeah, okay. I've, I've done, you know, uh, plans for the future and say, I want to do this this year. I want to do that and that. And it's like day two, January 2nd. Eh, that's not good enough. Lord's not called me to that. That dieting? Nah. That quit this sweets and all that kind of stuff? Nah. Same, new year, same Joel, right? No, but it, it's, it's a time of reflection and, and, and look at the last year. But for many people, I actually did a little test this last week and asked people, some Christians, some I know that aren't Christians, I said, how was your year? If you could say it, you could sum it up in a sentence. And they said, not a sentence, they said, bad. Bad. How was your, how was your year? Bad. And I, I can't tell you how many people, that was like 99.9% .9 of the people. There was one person that said, it's decent. I guess decent's better than bad, but it's still not good. So for the majority of people, I really felt my spirit that it was not a great year, okay? You can go through some negative stuff, and you can still grow, okay? That's, that's hopefully we're learning that over the years, that you can go through horrible circumstances, and you can still, you can still thrive in your relationship with God, the things that matter. But um, these people who had a rough year for the Christians, and if it, even me, I mean, there's a few things in this, this year that was rough, and sometimes we pray, Lord, this next year, I want, I just want my problems to be solved. I don't want this problem to be solved, and then I open up the new year, and there's new problems there, okay? We just, 
God, we want you to just take care of it. And so I stopped this last week when I, when I knew God was changing. It's a simple phrase, God is good. But my question is how many of us actually believe that or if it's just a catchphrase that we put on a mug, right? It's, we say it, okay, I'm going to do a test here for us real Christians. Okay, I'm going to say something, you say the rest of it. God is good all, all the time. Wow, I knew that. How did I know that? Because there's, there's, that's a good phrase, by the way, but it's a catchphrase. It's one of those things that we just, we hear it and we go, God is good. Some of us probably even thought that when I put that on the screen, right? I even just thought about it right as we were doing that. But the thing is, I wanted to pause the year and I wanted to stop and we can look at the past and go, man, I didn't like that or that. And we can grow from things. We can learn from things. We can learn from our mistakes. But I wanted to pause and look at the ways where God has looked in my, at least in my, I can look inside my heart. And I can say, God, you've been so good to me. Has there been some rough times? Absolutely. But I never felt the goodness of God leave me. I've always been there. And now there's times, again, like I said earlier, there's times that I doubt God, and there's times that I doubt even God's goodness, okay? That's the fact, because I'm human, and so are you. I mean, true believers will say, yeah, I struggle with this. Phony Christians, which none of us are, I know that, but phony Christians, they go, I just never struggle. I just never go through, every, every time something bad's happening, I just go, oh, whatever, I'm just, I'm just going to keep going. No, that's not real. That's like plastic. That's like a little plastic. When I was a kid in the 80s, we had He-Man. He Everybody remember He-Man? We had all those figurines, and we stood them up in the castle. And that's like, to me, some Christians, these, these little plastic figurines. The guy looks tough, but he's like that big, right? And he put the sword in his hand. He's all, yeah, yeah. That's, that was cool back in the day. But that's some Christians, and I want us to be able to be real, okay? I want us to be real with our questions and our doubts, but I want to plant in your head, in my head, over and over and over and over today. You're going to get sick of it, hopefully, hopefully not, but that fact is God is good, and I've been asking God, what are you saying today as we close this year? And the Lord said, at least to me, maybe not, maybe you're, you got this conquered, but God said, Joel, you need, to have, you need to be filled with more gratitude because I am good. Dang, dang God, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? But God was saying in love, remember, Joel, remember, church, I am good, he's saying. Because it's so easy to look at things that you're dealing with and be tempted to go, no, God's not good. We can doubt. Again, doubt is just, to me, doubt is the beginning of searching for truth and finding truth, and you'll get to truth. If we believe that Jesus is truth, that's where we'll end up if you're actually searching out God. If you, if you search for God, you will find God. That's what the Bible says. And so what I want to do is I want you to remember that your, the condition of your heart matters and if you want to grow in your faith in 2024, the number one thing that you need to do, the, the beginning point, is have a heart of gratitude, praise, worship, and saying, Lord, we believe you're good. And he knows he's good. Why does he have to hear it? No, he doesn't need to hear it. We need to hear it. Saying God is good, that God's going, I didn't know that. Thank you. Man, I'm going to pat myself on the back. God doesn't do that. Like, God, do you, you really need a pat on the back a lot, God? No. Why do we have to say it over and over and over? Because we need to remember it. God doesn't need to remember it. He knows. He's God. He goes, 
I'm good, God. I sent my son Jesus to die for you so that you could be in right relationship with me. That's a sign of a good, great God. And so we need to have a healthy heart. We need to have a healthy perspective. We need to have a healthy attitude going into the new year. How do we do that? you got to have a heart of thanksgiving, gratitude, and praise and worship towards God. Psalm 136 is, uh, we've, one of the songs that we sang earlier is actually words from Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. I'm going to read it again. Some of us are looking in the Bible. I'll give you a second. Maybe I just proved Lydia's point. She shared a picture and it said, something, or Hayden did something about a preacher saying, turn to Psalm blah, 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 and then he just starts reading and I go, slow down, let me go to my Bible. And she, they go, you do that. And I go, no. Okay, just, I'll just give you a second. Anybody there? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. What does that mean? His faithful love endures, it never stops. It never stops. You might not be proud of the things that you've done this last year. And there's things in my life I am not proud of. But the fact is, and does he want us to grow? Of course he does. Does he want us to mature in our faith? Of course he does. Is there times that he has to discipline us? Yes, the Bible says so. There's times he has to correct us. And if you're a human, you don't like correction. When I was a kid, I didn't like correction from my parents. But to be honest with you, I needed it. Me and my brother would still be fighting 42 years later if my parents wouldn't correct us because I have a twin brother, and twins are not always buddy-buddy all the time, you know? There's pictures of us wearing the exact same shirt, smiling from ear to ear, but inside we want to, because it's a competition between the two brothers. Trust me, who's better looking? I'm better looking according to Lydia, but that's beside the point. You think I'm joking? She's, you're the better looking one. No offense, Jason. Um... But she's supposed to say that. My brother is, my brother Jason's a pretty good looking guy. I'll tell you that. Um, he's not identical. We're pretty dang close to being identical. Um, but this phrase right here, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You might not know this. This is the most repeated phrase in the Bible. You can find it a lot. Maybe that's a homework assignment for this year. Find all of them. Don't Google. Okay, do it on your own reading. But it's the most repeated thing, and I've always said this. If something is repeated in the Bible over and over and over, you got to lean, lean a little bit, and you need to listen to what God is saying. Why is he reminding you of this? Because we have a tendency to forget the good things that God has done for us. And so um, God says, I want you to remember today and in 2024, I'm a good God, and my love for you endures forever. I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian a long time, but I read that and it's like I read it for the very first time yet again. And I look at it and I go, thank you, Lord, that you're a good God. You're faithful and your love endures forever. No wonder I can give thanks to God. No wonder I could be full of gratitude. No wonder I can be full of praise. No wonder my heart can't contain itself and sometimes in worship, again, Worship's bigger than music. I get it. It is. We can sing till we're blue in the face. It doesn't mean anything if our heart's far from God, right? Okay, but that's why sometimes I have a tendency to sing loud because I can't help it. I really, there's people around here, Joel. doesn't stop me from singing in the car, trust me, or in the, or in the house or turning up the music. And um, we were driving back from 
Lewiston the other day, and I think, man, I turned, I was like, it's got to be my music if I'm driving. And I'm singing along, and Hayden's in the back, I'm sure, recording me singing that because he's got 50 different videos of me singing in the car. And Lydia does the same thing. But uh, before, I, the reason, before I get to the point of my sermon, I want to ask a question that I have been reflecting in my life for the last two weeks before I even got to this message. And it's a question that it's, it needs to be said. Is God enough? I want to say it right away for just to be clear. I am not against stuff. I'm, I have stuff. My house has stuff. Anybody has stuff? Okay. I've got a house. I've got two cars. One of them I gave to Hayden, but I drive it once in a while because I give myself permission for that. Um, it's not against that at all. But I want to ask, I've, 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 I've wondered this in my own life. Is God, for me, is he enough? It, is God a good God, and does he heal, and does he deliver? Yes. Does he provide? Of course. The Bible says so. But if nothing in my life changed, if nothing in the world changed, would God be enough? Man, that's a hard question. If my house disappeared for some reason, and I like my house, is it the best house? Is it the biggest house? No. But it's ours. God gave it to us. But if for some reason it was just me and God, that's it. I was like Job. He lost everything. Was God enough for Job? Of course he was. That's a challenging book. See, people are, most people are not content just to have a relationship with God. Again, this is not against money. Remember, Jesus said that he didn't say the mon- that money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil, okay? And you know, I'm not going to, I won't make you raise your hand, but most of us wish we had just a little bit more, right? I won't mess with you because you're going to go, I don't even know if I'm supposed to raise my hand with that. You know, I don't even know if I'll be a Christian if I raise my hand. Listen, for most of us, it would make things, some things a little easier if I had $200 more a month, $100, whatever the case may be. But the fact is that the more we have, the more we want, and I thought about this yesterday when I was doing this sermon prep. I was actually practicing at home, and then right afterwards, I gave the dog a treat. And I'm cheap, so I take the treat, which is like a pepperoni stick, and I cut it in half because he's, he's not going to enjoy the whole thing. That's too expensive. I should just do little pieces, and that will last a year. But then I give him half, and I, put it, and I say, okay, pork chop, sit, and he's really good. I set it down. And it's a good pepperoni stick. Not real pepperoni, though, but it tastes like it. He doesn't know the difference. He can't believe it's not bacon. But anyway, he puts it down, and I say, wait. That's the one trick he knows. And I say, okay, go. And he gets it. And he doesn't even taste it. He's just, Gump. and then what's he do afterwards? It's right back to me, to me, and he wants more. Goes back to the fridge. He knows exactly where it's at. And every time I go wash the dishes, he's going up. He, he's looking up. He, he's he sits, I promise, every time I do dishes, he sits right behind me, watching me, and I turn around and I look, and he's, he turns around and he looks up top of the fridge. All that to say is that when somebody, even a dog, even a dog named Porkchop, you give him a treat, you give him just a little bit, and it's just enough. He doesn't need more than that, trust me. He's a little bit, hef- the last time I took him to the vet, he's a little bit overweight, that's what they said. He's husky. No, he's not, he's a no, he's not a husky, but he's husky for sure. 
But it's like, it's not enough. You want more. The, the more you get, the more you desire. And so, again, this is not against the stuff or houses or cars. or If that was the case, I'd be going to hell because I have stuff. The fact is, is God enough? Now, the last couple weeks during the Christmas sermon series, we, we visited Genesis chapter 3. And it's been a theme, I guess, because, and I want to go back to it for just a moment, because Genesis 3 was the last time the world was as it's supposed to be. Perfect. There was nothing wrong with it. It was exactly how we're meant to live. There was no Ten Commandments. Okay? It was just relationship with God. And God said, here's all this lush land. It's all yours. But I have to know if you are going to be obedient to me or not. Don't touch this tree. Millions and billions and trillions of trees, and actually the whole world was to be explored. And you have everything that you possibly want. I have provided it for you. You don't need a thing. You don't need what's on this tree. Do not touch. And basically what God was saying is, you can trust me to provide everything that you need. I am enough. You don't need what you do not have. God is enough, he would say. And then the devil comes to the picture and I wrote this down because I, I really felt, what, is, what was the devil doing right away? Because this is the first time we see the devil in the Bible chronologically, but it's not the first time the devil's in the Bible in the story. I mean, he was before that, okay? Someday I want to do a class about that, you know, just to explain it because it is a little bit, it's, it, the story of the devil is a fascinating one, but it's very mysterious, and you kind of have to be a detective almost in the Bible to get to these different pieces. And you go, okay, this is the story of what happened with the devil before he was demonic, if you will, why he did that. But the first thing that we do when we read the Bible chronologically is he's sowing seeds of doubt to the people of God, Adam and Eve. In fact, the first thing he did was he caused them to doubt God's truthfulness. Again, this is true today for a lot of people. They say, a lot of people will go, how do you, this is an old religious textbook. How can I trust that? Even some, even some denominations, they would say, I'm not a real Christian because I have an NIV up here because it's got to be King James only. I'm not an anti-King James Christian. I'm not. Okay? Some Christians are pro, only King James only, and I, I, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? I, I get it. I understand. But they start doubting the Word of God. And this is for sure true for non-Christians. You really put your faith in a God that's written in a book that was written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago? Well, what about, and they start sowing seeds of doubt in your brain, all your, if you have friends that are not Christians, which you're supposed to have. We need to be influencers of people who are not Christian. But sometimes they're going to sow seeds of doubt. Oh, oh you're really going to trust this? Did, doesn't it change over the years? Kind of like that telephone game. I tell I tell Darlene one little, I whisper in the ear, Seattle Seahawks need to win today, which they do. Then she shares it with her buddies over here. Then they share it with over here. Then he shares over here. And by the time you get to the end, they say, Joel likes ice cream, something like that. 
That's the, that is the telephone game when we're kids. You take one thought and you would go to, and so that's what people, they sow seeds of doubt in the word of God. And it started in Genesis chapter three, the very beginning. God said, I am good. I provide everything that you possibly need in these trees. Everything you have, food wise, beauty, you have everything. And Adam, you've got one woman right here and she's perfect for you. You guys are a perfect fit. You can't say, Adam, is there another one? You can't say that because there's only one. She's perfect for you. So relationally, everything's perfect. Then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it opens up by saying, did God really say? And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, it's even worse now that people don't believe that God is, if God does exist, he can't be truthful. So we start struggling in our relationship with God because of things that we find in the Bible. And I want to be honest, if there's things in the Bible that I look at and I see and I have a question about it, which I do sometimes, I don't just flip out and go, oh, the whole thing, I got to throw the whole thing away because I don't understand one thing. Well, I don't understand a lot about anything. Like, like, why can't the Seahawks be better? I have no idea. Why can't their offensive line be better? I have no idea. I'm not a coach. Okay. So there's, I mean, how, how does, how in science, how does this law affect that law? And I have no idea. How does gravity work? I have no idea. How does reflection of the sun to the moon to us? I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. But I just, I trust it. Like that is the law that, you know, gravity, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump off this. I'm not going to float up. I'm going to fall. That's the, I don't understand it. I don't have to understand everything. But there are people that will sow seeds against God's truthfulness. The second thing the devil got them to doubt, the seed of doubt, was God's goodness. This is a very important one because there's some Christians that struggle with the fact if God is good or not. Because in one instance, which, by the way, I said this before, I want to give you permission. <laughs> Sometimes I've doubted God's goodness, and I've always felt in my life that I want to be upfront and blunt with people Okay, I am not going to pretend that I had, I've always went, oh, it's great. Because there's things I've had in my life that I go, oh, I don't like how I feel right now. And God, why did you let that happen? Okay, if that's you right now, don't, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your relationship with God. It's, God is not looking at you going, you are so horrible. Because you can look through the whole Bible and see people doubting God. Okay, and but the first thing that the, the, the second thing that the devil got to doubt was God's goodness. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, e, Adam and Eve, they were saying, they're they looking at this tree, all the trees, and he, she said, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat, Satan. But God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, I was reading that this week. And I'm sitting there going, what's the big deal? But the devil caused some seeds of doubt in, their, in, their, in God's faithfulness, his trustworthiness, and his goodness. His goodness here is because they started to believe, Adam and Eve started to believe, that the one tree that they couldn't even touch was the very thing that they needed. That God provided millions and trillions of trees and fruit and, and strawberries and, 
and uh, co- coffee beans, okay? Somehow they started grinding that and started making, put, adding hot water to it. I don't know how that started. But you, you got blueberries, you've got peaches, you've got apricots, you've got bananas, you've got apples, you've got everything. And it's everything that your body needs. Now, have things changed? Sure. After the flood, God said, you can kill that meat and eat. But the fact is, Satan started to say, you know what? See that tree over there? If you eat that, you're going to be like God. But you know what? God doesn't want you to enjoy that tree because he's not good. He's holding back from you. And there are times in my life where I felt like, why? I look at other people's lives and I go, I feel sometimes that God is holding back from me. What is going on? Like, the one thing that I wish I had is right here. But he's saying, Joel, you could do all this, but you just can't do that. Why? And that's the devil. The devil actually planted that seed. The devil said that if you eat that, you will be like God. In other words, you will be self-sufficient. You won't need a, per- you won't need a thing. You won't need God. You won't need anyone else. See, think about, think about hum- humans, um, the tendency of being human for just a moment. Most people go, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be needed by someone else. I don't want to need anything. I don't want to need people. I, don't want to, I just want to be able to take care of it myself. There are times, and it's happened both ways, where I've tried to bless someone or they tried to bless me, and I said, no, thank you, because I don't want to be, I just want to do, I want to figure out myself. I want to figure out myself. No, you stop. It's like being a little kid. Remember when Hayden was really little, and he's trying to figure something out, and I'm like, hey, let me help you. No, I got it. I can do it. I can do it. You remember being a kid doing that? I can do it. And you're like, you're plugging in something that's maybe one of those things where a little toy where you take the, the, the round block and you put it through the round hole and the square you put there. And he's like, no, I can do it. And he's putting it through the triangle hole. And it's like, no, I can do it. And you're like, let me help. See, we have been ingrained from Genesis chapter 3 that we do not need other people. We do not need God. We simply just need ourselves. We need to be self-sufficient. The ultimate problem in Genesis chapter 3 is sin, yes, but it's bigger than that. The biggest problem is it got their eyes off of God. It got their eyes off of what God provides. It got their eyes off of trusting that God is good and his plan is the best. We need to remember those two things. God is good. We can trust him, and we can trust his plan. We can trust his plan. Do we always understand his plan? No. Do we always agree with his plan? No. But do we, we need to believe. We need to trust that God is good, he's trustworthy, and his plan is perfect. His will is perfect. He knows more than I do. So, the fact is, the seed was planted. God is not good. God is not right. God is horrible. And that leads to sin becoming our master. We're spiritually bankrupt. We can't go to heaven and draw on account of our own good. I go to, I go to heaven, I grab my spiritual debit card, try to put it in the ATM in heaven, and it says, funds zero. And God says, there's no way on earth you could pay me back. 
You need someone that has everything at his disposal. It's Jesus Christ. And that brings me back to the question, is God enough for you? Then another question I thought about, are you content with God? Can you trust God? Do you believe that God wants the best for you or not? So sometimes I say, yeah, you're good, God, but I don't think you have my best interest in mind. Because if that's possible, why would you allow that to happen? And listen, I get it. There are some things in my life that are question marks. I get it. And I try not to get every single solution to every problem in my life down before I move forward in God. Because I'm going to be waiting a long time. Because God is good, but he's mysterious. And there's some things that he's not going to, he's not going to go, this is, the, this is what it is. You're going to be waiting. Some of us, if not all of us, will be waiting to have our answers question, uh, questions answered when we cross that line of, of heaven. Then we'll go, oh, I get it. Oh, it makes sense. Oh, now it makes sense. Okay. Because now on earth, we just see right here, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. See, the story of God and his people from Genesis to Exodus is an interesting one. Exodus, how many of us have ever read the book of Exodus? It's a fascinating story. It really is. Because you have people who have been in slavery for 400 years, and God finally raises up a guy named Moses to free them. And it's dramatic. It's a dramatic story. It's an entertaining story. It's, it's, some of it's rated R. Okay? And some of it's pretty graphic. But it's how it happened. And Moses said, let my people go. And finally, they were able to cross the Red Sea in a dramatic fashion. God provided there. He's so good that he gave them a shortcut. For what it's worth, from, ex- from, from Egypt to where they needed to go, probably an 11-day journey. How long did it take them to get there? Not 12 days, 40 years. That's a long walk. If it's 11, if I'm walking from here to Lewiston and it takes me, what, it take me less than 40, or, uh, 11 days, but if it took me 40 years to get to Lewiston, I've got issues, okay? So they're wandering around the wilderness and during that time, God provides everything they need because God is good. They get water and they get food. Now, food called manna literally means what is it? They don't even know what it is. We don't know what it is. But every day it would rain, snow, whatever you want to call it, and they gather up this what is it? Just enough for today. Don't gather it for the next week or it's going to be infested with maggots and stuff. That's in the story. I'm not making it up. You gather it up. You get a basket full of it. But they started to get sick of it because there's only so many ways you can cook up manna. They're making banana bread. I got that from Keith Green, the singer. <laughs> he said, anyway, you got to sing. He listened to that goofy song. It's, it's fun. You know, so you want to stay, you want to go back to Egypt. It's about this story. But uh, um, the, you can't, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, you can flat, flatten that little manna and make pancakes, manna cakes. I mean, I don't know. But they started getting sick of it and say, God, I'm so sick of it, this manna. And supposedly manna had every nutrient you needed. You didn't need anything else. Yeah, you get kind of bored of it. It's like a dog. They're, they get the same food every day, nonstop. I do feel bad for the dog. For breakfast, you get that. 
For dinner, you get that. If you're hungry again, you can have a snack of that. And a little treat, you know, if you need to. But they say, God, I wish I was back in Egypt in slavery. At least we had meat. So God gave them what they thought they needed was steak. And probably not steak, but that's what I would think I needed. So he brought quail in. Remember that? He brought quail in, and they had meat. They had what they thought they needed, but they had, first they had exactly what they needed. They had a relationship with God. God was doing miraculous things. God provided water supernaturally. God provided manna from heaven that I still to this day wish I could find that out and see how it tasted. But like humanity, they got sick of it and they started grumbling. So God said, fine, I'll give you what you think you need. He brings in quail. And then... It's actually, the story is actually, the story of that exact story is found in Psalm 106. Psalm 106 is a reminder of the people what happened in Exodus when people started to grumble. Now, none of us grumble and complain to God. That's not true. We do. I do. Okay? And we think that we need that. But what does it say in, in Psalm 106, verse 13 through 15? Again, you're going to have to read it in your New King James, NIV, New Living Translation, something. This is a message paraphrase. I'm going to pepper this in a little bit here and there throughout the year because it says in a fresh way. Again, if, you, if you're used to King James or you're used to King James or New King James or whatever, you'll need to read it. But I like this. This is that story of them remembering them crossing the Red Sea. And it says, but it wasn't long before they forgot the whole thing. God's goodness. God parting the Red Sea, God doing all that. It wasn't long before they forgot the whole thing. They wouldn't wait to be told what to do. They only cared about pleasing themselves in that desert. They provoked God with their insistent demands. We want meat. That was their demands. That's what he's talking about. We want meat. We don't want this, what is it? We don't even know what it's called. We don't even know what to call it. We don't want this little wafer. I'm sick of banana bread. I want something different. I want a little chocolate. I want some steak. I want some shrimp, coconut shrimp. Come on. And he gave them exactly what they asked for. Think about that. God gave in and gave them quail. They thought they needed meat. God wasn't enough. But along with the meat, they got an empty heart. If you read the story, what happened? They got to eat quail. They got to drink water. They had a little bit of manna left over. But they were satisfied in their belly they were far from God. And that's the story of Exodus. Into Joshua, in the story of Joshua, you have the people of God who have an empty relationship with God. They thought they needed this. Adam and Eve thought they needed the tree that was on, they needed the fruit that was on here. It looked pleasing. The people of God here, they thought they needed quail, but they needed God. And they were not satisfied and content with their relationship with God. They needed what they didn't have. See, why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? I really believe it's because they focus on themselves and they focus on the fact what they didn't have. They could have gone to the promised land in 11 days. I find that fascinating. I find it fascinating that they wandered for, a year would have been ridiculous. They were wandering for a year. For 40 years, Moses didn't even make it. Some of the people didn't make it. Why? Because including Moses, were focused on themselves, not on God. 
They weren't content in their relationship with God. They didn't trust his will for their life. God said, if you would just trust me and you would follow me, you'll see that you will be mostly satisfied if you follow me. But they started to focus on themselves. And so they had an empty heart. And I pray that in 2024, there would not be one person at the sound of my voice and people online that none of us would have an empty heart. Again, this is not an anti-stuff sermon. Because if that's the case, i got some work to do after, after church. But it is saying, do I focus on what I don't need? Or do I focus on following after God? Do I trust his will for my life? Not understand it, but do I trust it? Because God is going to call you to certain things. You're going to go, why? Why that? Why that? Why there? Why him or her? Why do I have to talk to them? Why? Wait, I have to forgive him or her? No. No, you're joking, right, God? And God's not laughing. He says, see that person over there? No, where? I don't see anybody. What are you talking about? Huh? Oh, oh that person? No, 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 no. You, God goes, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He goes, forgive them. Love them. I don't understand that, but am I going to trust God's will for my life? That's the best? I hope. I don't want to get the stuff that I think I need and then I have an empty heart. 2024, listen to me, I'm saying it right now, it's going to be a great year if we remember that God is good and his will is perfect for my life. If we remember those two things, what's it going to do? It's going to cause us to have a good perspective on things. Sometimes we're not going to understand things. Sometimes we have questions. And I think some people, some Christians, it's a very immature thought, but it's happened to me. But God, I will trust you, but I need to know everything first. I, I need you to show me the map before I start walking. That's not how it works. I'm sorry. I really am. I wish I could say, here... I wish I could say God gave you a map, follow every step. You don't know every step. We know that God orders our footsteps. You have to trust in God's good timing and everything to believe that every step I take, according to Proverbs, he orders it. If you truly believe that, it's because we truly believe that God is ultimately in charge and he orders my footsteps. Again, Psalm 136, we read it earlier, but I want to read it again. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Remembering God's goodness and his faithful enduring love is going to give us strength to move forward. It's going to give us the ability to keep moving forward in my life. It's the key to growth. It's the key to contentment. It's the key to joy. The more I give thanks to God, the more I'm going to experience God. That's how it works. Why? Because he inhabits the praises of his people. He literally pitches his tent among the people that worship. That's what that means, he inhabits the praise. He literally, he's putting his tent up, and he's saying, this is where I'm living. I'm moving in. He's got his bags and everything. He's got his sleeping bag. I'm moving in. And you're like, I don't want you to move in, God. I got too much junk. See, I don't care. I'm moving in. But the moment we stop praising God, he's like, I can't live here. 
And he starts packing up his, he rolling up his sleeping bag, and he folds his tent up, and he leaves. Now, we're not going to, we're going to read one verse, but there's a story. This is huge. Especially when it comes to ending the year on a bang. There's a story in Luke 17 where Jesus is with a group of lepers. There's 10 lepers. And they all beg him to heal. If you're a leper, you beg whoever's in charge of healing or whoever's making you better like that, you go up to them. You don't care because you're, you're, you're pushed to the side of society. You can't even go into a city. You can't go to a wedding. You can't go to the grocery store. You are contagious. Get away from me. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. Let there be 60 feet in, front, in between us. And Jesus does something very interesting in this story. I like, to, I like to read these interesting ways that Jesus heals because he doesn't heal the same way twice. Sometimes he doesn't heal a situation. We talked about that in the men's group. Wink, wink. <laughs> but when he does heal, I don't believe he heals the same way twice. So you can't always predict how he heals. This one, he doesn't heal him on the spot, but he says, I want you guys to turn around. I want you to walk towards the priests. Because what happens when the pre, what happens when a leper gets healed? They go show themselves to the priest, right? They go to the priest and say, am I better? And he can get some sign of approval, and he says, you're healed. Ten of them go out, and on the way there, they're walking going, oh. He didn't heal us. All of a sudden, I'm better. Wait, you're better? Bill, you're better? Tim, you're better? Johnny, you're better? We're all better. Awesome. And 10 out of 10 get healed. One out of 10 goes back to praise Jesus and thank him for what he did. And the moment the guy, the one guy comes back to Jesus, he falls to the feet of Jesus and worships him and thanks him, and Jesus says something very funny. Good job. I accept your worship. No. Nope. This is the right thing to do. No. Nope. Jesus says something that really messes with me because he knows everything. Yeah, he says in 17, verse 17 of Luke, Jesus asks, wait a minute, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? How many of us believe Jesus knew the answer to that question? I do. Jesus he is just, he's stirring the pot here. He can't believe what happened to the nine. I, I have to assume this, but I think that the nine of them went, oh, that's awesome. Okay, let's go show my wife. Let's go show my buddy. Now we can go fishing again. I haven't been fishing in a long time because he wouldn't let me in the boat with him because my, my limbs have been falling off. My skin has been coming off. And I have to assume this, but my question is, which one grew in his relationship with the Lord? The one who was grateful or the one who wasn't grateful? Again, I have to put some, I have to kind of assume here. I'm assuming a lot, but I'm assuming that this encounter with Jesus, his thanksgiving, his praise towards Jesus, changed his life forever. How do I know that? Because a lot of the Bible, when Jesus healed someone, they, they couldn't help but go tell someone about it. Even though Jesus said not to sometimes. Don't tell that. Don't tell them. But they went and told the whole town 
So I have to assume this one did. I have to assume that the other nine, eh, wasn't enough. If I'm healed of leprosy, how many of us, how many of us are going to tell someone? I'm going on Facebook right now. I'm doing a Facebook live video right now. Guess what? I'm healed. Here's the proof. Look, see? This, my, my pinky was kind of falling off. Look, it's better. Because if you, leprosy, you start losing limbs, okay? My leg, I can, I can walk on it. Look, there's no gangrene. There's nothing. Great. That's what I would do because that's what healed people do. That's what people have been impacted by God do. They go tell someone about it. They don't hide it under a bushel and go, no, no. This one lived a life of praise and worship, and I have to believe that it actually changed his life. Psalm 100, verse 4. I like the Psalms today. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. How are you going to enter into God's presence? With worship? In 2024, again, God's presence doesn't reside in this building. He doesn't camp out here during the week. He's with you. But when we gather together this next year, together on Sundays, how are we going to, how are we going to enter into his courts? And are we going to praise him? Are we going to enter his gates with thanksgiving? Or are we going to do the human tendency, including myself, is to grumble? Who's going to grow more, those who are thankful or not? I have to believe it. The way to grow in my faith in God is to be a thankful individual towards God. I'm going to close in prayer, but I have one more verse because there is a tendency for, for some of us, maybe some of us, maybe one or two people here, or you're online watching, and you're not going to listen to God's word. And you're going to, you're just, God's not enough. And I can't thank God for because my life has been horrible this year. I want to tell you what will happen if you don't praise God. The Apostle Paul will tell us in one verse. Because according to Paul, there's a group of people that refuse to praise God. And what happened to them? Romans 121. If you're the ladies group, did Romans study this last year? And you'll remember this months ago, probably, hopefully. But it says this. Yes, they knew God. Listen this. They knew God. I'd like to translate that to say they knew about God. They knew that he existed. They couldn't doubt him. They knew he existed. But they wouldn't worship him as God or they wouldn't even give him thanks. Pause. There's a group of people who believe that God exists and they refuse to worship him and they refuse to say, thank you, God, for your goodness. And then they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Foolish being wrong, sinful, demonic. They started thinking, they started coming up with all sorts of ideas of who God was, and it was all wrong. Why is that? Because, listen, when they don't thank God and they don't praise God, their mind's clouded. How do you get that? Well, it's just, as a result of this entire thing, their minds became dark and confused. In other words, we've been talking about the light of God in the series that we just did. The way that God lights your life and my life is through praise, thanksgiving, through gratitude. When we say thank you to God, 
He's going to lighten up your heart. But the moment you say, no, don't need it, not going to worship, I refuse to, don't like it, no God, you're going to start thinking about foolish things that's not God-honoring. And as a result, your life's going to get very dark, dim, and very confusing. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to look at the what's what's going on in the world. The key is, we're going to focus on the 2024. We want to honor God more in 2024. We want to live a life of praise. We want to live a life of thanksgiving. We want to honor God. That's how we're going to begin our year. That's how we're going to go through our year. And that's how we're going to end next year. God willing, if he doesn't come back, that's how we're going to live our life. Because we want to honor God. We want to live for him. We want to please him. But we got to remember two things. God is good. And his faithful love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we give you the rest of today and we give you all of next year. God, I thank you for my church family. God, I pray that we've grown over the year. I pray that we've gone deeper in, in you, in our love for you, in our love for each other. God, I love you so much. And I want so much for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to de- declare that your will is the best for our life. And so we want to follow your will, even if we don't understand it. We will follow your will. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful new year. We'll see you Wednesday in the new year. We'll see you in the future.